1875, Rome came close to losing its river. In that year, the liberator of Italy, General Giuseppe Garibaldi, visited and announced plans to clean up the Eternal City. His main target was the River Tiber. Garibaldi would solve problems from pollution to flooding by diverting the river and completely removing it from the city. Where did this idea come from, and why wasn't it carried out? I'm Ian Chapman Curry, and this is the Almost History podcast. Throughout time, people have made choices that have changed the world. We tend to focus on successful plants, projects that prospered, and inventions that worked. But sometimes the most interesting stories are found in history's what-ifs and near-misses. This podcast looks at this almost history, the unrealisable utopias, cancelled operations and impractical visions to try and find out what could have been. You can find out more about the series and get in touch at almosthistorypodcast.com. This week, we look at what if the Tiber had been diverted and Rome had lost its iconic river. At the end of January 1875, General Giuseppe Garibaldi came to Rome for the first time in 25 years. A correspondent for Il Secolo described the human ocean that came to greet him as he stepped ashore at Civitavecchia. The crowd's fanfares and acclaim would accompany Garibaldi as he entered the Eternal City. The hero of two worlds had come to conquer a third, the natural world. More specifically, he wanted to tame Rome's problematic river. Rome is as synonymous with the Tiber as London is with the Thames or Paris with the Seine. It's hard to imagine any of these ancient cities without their iconic rivers. The Tiber is particularly resonant, weaving its way through Rome's geography, history and literature. The Roman poet Ovid described the river in a memorable verse from his Metamorphoses those graceful groves that shade the plain, where Tiber rolls majestic to the main, and flattens, as he runs, the fair campaign. The writer David Gilmore describes the importance of the river Tiber in his excellent book, The Pursuit of Italy. He says that the most hallowed river in Italy is Virgil's gentle Tiber, the second longest in the country, whose relationship with Rome is as famous as that of the Seine flowing through Paris or the Thames progressing through London. As well as featuring in poetry stretching back to Ovid, Rome's river is evoked in key passages in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar and Antony and Cleopatra. How is it possible, then, that Rome came close to losing the Tiber? He hadn't been to Rome in 25 years, 
and he could already see that nothing much had changed. In Civitavecchia, his boat had approached its mooring, and the vast crowd roared its approval at finally seeing the hero of Italian unification. The common people were enthusiastic, waving and shouting acclamations. But Garibaldi knew that many of the city's elites would be cursing his visit, especially those in the Vatican. This city was a viper's nest of corruption and superstition, and at its heart was the moribund papal administration. Still, he was here to put on a good show for the people and to try and make this city worthy of being the capital of his new Italy. You could smell the city before you saw it. It was a stinking, rotten toilet sinking in its own filth. Something had to be done. Rome wasn't the only city in Europe to have had problems with its river. In London, the River Thames had become a sewer. Conditions had gotten so bad in England in the summer of 1858 that the windows of the Palace of Westminster were sealed with heavy lime chloride drenched drapes. Rome had endured a similar stink three years before that. But there was a crucial difference. In England, the authorities swung into action. Rome's crisis didn't produce quite the same reaction. So, by 1870, the Thames was safely and cleanly contained in its new embankments. London has travelled on roads and underground railways built into the river defences. And in Rome, the river flooded. And on Christmas Day, hard to see the cardinals avoiding the symbolism of that date. Even the Slorotic Austrians had taken action to tame the Danube and protect the imperial capital of Vienna, so surely his newly unified, resurgent and dynamic Italy could now do the same for its capital city. Was Garibaldi's audacious plan simply to protect Rome from flooding? According to David Gilmore, there was more at stake than periodic inundations. The plans to divert the Tiber were motivated by the desire to prevent not only floods, but also malaria. And this was an important consideration. Even in the final years of the 19th century, this disease still killed around 15,000 people a year across the Italian peninsula. The project would also be a boon for agriculture. Marshes would be drained and parched acres irrigated. Commerce and trade would benefit from the creation of a world-class seaport and the forging of a navigable river. In the city itself, the empty riverbed would be transformed, perhaps into a grand Parisian-style boulevard. Garibaldi also saw the project in moral as well as material terms. The liberator of Italy was not one of Rome's biggest fans. The city was, in Garibaldi's view, a swampy and backward hell, with the ever-present threats of malaria and malaise. Politically, it was a viper's nest, the home of the reactionary Catholic Church and some of the greatest opponents of Italian unification. Garibaldi was not alone in his criticism of Rome. John Ruskin described the city as a windowless urinal. James Joyce was even more evocative when he noted that Rome reminds me of a young man who lives by exhibiting to travellers his grandmother's corpse. In his 2004 essay Roma o Morte, 
Daniel Pick notes that Garibaldi's grand plans were consciously continuing a grand tradition and furthering noble historical ambitions. He wanted Rome restored to its past glories. Indeed, he wanted modern Rome to eclipse its predecessors. The physical transformation would spare a morally regenerated third Rome. Finally, the capital city of Italy would be a worthy heir to its ancient forebears. And Garibaldi was in the right time to consider such an undertaking. The 19th century was a golden era for the engineer and great projects. Various individuals came forward with plans to canalise or divert the Tiber. Garibaldi himself favoured a project developed by Paolo Molini and Alessandro Castellani. He saw it as a necessary sign of scientific progress and a great engineering feat to rival the great canals at Suez and Panama. His personal passion for the plans was revealed to the Italian public in an article he wrote for the newspaper L'Opinione on the 30th of November 1872. In this, he noted that I certainly don't take credit for the initiative to channelise the Tiber. I support the proposals of the scientists Castellani and Molini, who recommend continuation of the plan to bypass Rome, which will result in benefits for the citizens there. Under the plans, the Tiber would have been diverted away from Rome and it would have flowed to a new harbour at Fiumicino, close to ancient Rome's historic port city of Ostia. With the draining of the Tiber, Rome would be free of flood and malarial fever. The surrounding marshes could be drained and farmland irrigated. The diverted river would be navigable, with docks boosting the local economy. It was uncertain as to what would happen to the Tiber's riverbed in Rome. Some suggested a regulated and steady flow of water could be released into the channel. Others thought that it provided space for a grand promenade. Garibaldi himself imagined a grand Parisian-style boulevard that would become a wonder of the modern world. In the end, political rivalries and cost concerns combined first to delay and finally to thwart the plans. Garibaldi's prestige and energy were repeatedly dashed against the immutable processes of government committees and inquiries. And this wasn't what Garibaldi expected. As Pick notes, he expected Parliament to jump to it and provide the necessary legislation and funds, not simply to talk about it and slap him on the back. As one of the fathers of the nation, Garibaldi was heard politely, sometimes even enthusiastically, but privately. Politicians, civil servants and engineers were sceptical about the chances of success and considered the cost far too high. For three years, Garibaldi was enjoined in a painfully slow bureaucratic dance. He eventually gave up on his project in 1878. By this time, a more practical and cost-effective solution had found favour. Rome finally followed London's example and erected embankments to contain and canalise the river. Had the plans gone ahead, would Romans have lived to regret the loss of their river? In Julius Caesar, Shakespeare is strangely, if unintentionally, revealing of the possible reaction of a people divorced from their river. Draw them to Tiber banks and weep your tears into the channel till the lowest stream do kiss the most exalted shores of all. And as Ian Thomas, writing in the Telegraph, notes, at least the Tiber is still there, its Ponte Garibaldi embankments stinking like great pissoir in the sun. 
Thanks for listening to the Almost History podcast. I'd really like to hear from you. Let me know what you think of the programme and what you'd like to hear more of. If you like the podcast, please take a moment to rate or review it on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. The theme music is Newsroom by Riot. All of the other music featured on this episode is detailed in the episode description. Don't forget, you can find out far more about Almost History from almosthistorypodcast.com. And from Almost History, we're almost done.